This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to the first Christmas edition of Analyzing Anfield. Uh, Christmas period getting busy. I'm joined as ever by David Hughes. How are you getting on? Very good, thanks mate. I wasn't sure what the uh, Christmas edition intro was for there, but I just realised that within that kind of manic festive period, aren't we? We're ever going to be previewing about 10 games and episodes. Yeah, well, we, know, we know it's the Christmas period because every time we, we podcast, we seem to have missed about six games. <laughs> so uh, this is this is similar. We've got Fulham to talk about, Spurs to talk about, Palace to talk about, and the Champions League draw happened this morning. We have a card on the Monday. So we've got a fair bit to get through, uh, and we've got one more, I suppose you could call it Christmas podcast, um, between Boxing Day and the New Year, um, which I'll be recording despite being off. <laughs> so uh, you're welcome. But um, for the boxes there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we'll get straight down to Fulham anyway. Uh, it wasn't great. It was a bad game. Um, the way we previewed it, I think, I think it, it was just a case of specifically in the first half, Fulham couldn't have played any better than he played, and Liverpool just did not turn up. There's no other way of putting it really. It just it weren't the races at all, and when you couple those two together, it just resulted in a bad um, half hour or so period. They deserved a goal, even if there was a, a bit of a push on Salah, um, and as a result of going on a goal behind. And Fulham improving of late without the ball. I think the match just descended into something different. But um, yeah, it just it just wasn't what I expected. I don't know what you do. De- definitely wasn't something I expected. Um, saying that, I, I, you know, I think every prediction I made going into this weekend just didn't didn't seem to go to plan at all. And this was this was definitely one of them. Um, I expected Liverpool to have. Definitely too much for Fulham, even though they were an improving side. But yeah, as you said, that that kind of first, you know, first half an hour, forty minutes, they played really well. Um, up until the fortieth minute, Fulham had outshot Liverpool six to one, which is a uh, which is quite telling. Um, and yeah, Liverpool just a little bit disjointed. I think it's probably a, a mixture of things, isn't it? It's games coming thick and fast, fatigue. Um, maybe even not just physical fatigue, but mental fatigue as well. Um, Fulham having a little bit of boost with the crowd being there, and um, and yeah, you know it was a little bit of a surprise to say the least. How it how it panned out. Yeah, I mean it's, it's difficult to put any kind of number on what the fans are doing to uh, to the players, but I do feel like it made a bit of a difference. Um, I think there was just misplaced passes from Liverpool players. Um, the second balls, what Liverpool are usually very good at, um, sweeping up. We just didn't. Fulham players were first to them. Um, the first touch of our players, maybe receiving with a back to their opponents, was just just bad first touches, putting yourself in a worse place and stuff. Um, it was just one one of them, really. We, we, we played countless long balls over the top of Fulham's defence. If they don't hit a man, maybe you'll sweep up the second ball and get a bit of territory as a result of that. We didn't even do that. So it was just, it was just a bad... Um, a really bad start, and you know, he coupled that with, with Fulham's forward players in particular. Who I don't think they're particularly great, um, but 
they do have tricky qualities. Um, I think they're quite they're all decent at kind of coping without teammates acting as um outlet types who who can carry the ball up the field. Um, just quick and tricky wingers really, and he played Loftus Cheek through the centre, which he did against um City. Um, you know he's a decent technical player. Zambo Anguissa in the sense that he was sicky. Mario Lamina, quite press resistance as well. So I think it was one of them where, you know, Liverpool, for, for whatever reason, couldn't really get near him for half an hour until they inevitably got a bit tired. Um, and then Liverpool then, and he stopped attacking really, and then Liverpool just kind of started playing their own game. But um, when you're playing your own game, you're trying to break down a team who want the match to end. You need players all over the pitch who can who can play the last pass really and you know without Thiago and without Jota to come on obviously Liverpool made a change during the end of the towards the end of the game rather than bringing Shakiri on rather than bringing Jota on bringing on Origi um, so I just think you know the more injuries that Liverpool suffer from probably the less equipped we become to uh, to solve these problems once we're presented with a deep a deep block yeah, yeah, I agree. It's you know Liverpool's capacity of of, of how good they are um, does inevitably take a hit when you don't have that same squad depth as a result of injuries. And you know even it wasn't the game plan got a little bit disrupted by having to make a change with massive as well, didn't it? You know that's not ideal, um, and that's the problem that kind of Liverpool are in now that they're relying on the likes of Matip, who is a good play but just cannot stay fit. Um, and the consequence is not only are you without him going into games, but it's also disrupting the flow of games as well. And if you've got you know tactical substitutions you want to make, depending on how the game's playing out, things like that disrupt it. Um, so yeah, he was obviously a blow. And then I feel like Henderson. Um, you're talking about players who can kind of make um, penetrating passes from all all around the pitch. I think that's something Henderson has massively improved on over the past like 18 months or so. Um, obviously, I'm not saying he's Thiago levels by any stretch, but I do think he, he can do that. And I think when he's having to fill in in a different position on the pitch, it does in some ways just limit his ability to, to impact the game in the same way with his passing. Yeah. I mean, the numbers on the day, Liverpool posted bang on two. And Fulham, sorry, two expected goals. That is, two. Mm. Uh, and Fulham posted an XG of one point seven, but obviously Liverpool's is two with a penalty included. So if you remove the penalty, a penalty is usually zero point seven six. That means Liverpool essentially lost the XG to to Fulham. Um, and we took eleven shots to Fulham's ten, but obviously Fulham's were generally in better areas. I mean. Henderson did have a chance, which, in my opinion, he probably should have scored. Um, but other than that, Liverpool don't feel like we created a great a great deal that we could have. You know, you know, I don't think we deserved any more than a point. Put it that way. Yeah, um, I think I've, those I've were, a few tweets actually. Go on. I was going. No, I was just going to say those numbers are very much a, a game in the balance that you're then um, at the mercy of, of things going in your favour, aren't you? Like converting that one big chance, or you know, kind of. Um, relying on decisions going your way. The kind of stuff that Liverpool don't normally leave to chance. Yeah, I saw a few tweets from um, 
from different Liverpool fans. One of them was uh, actually Christian, who you know for long time listeners of the show will will, will be aware of. Him. Um, he actually said that it, it, it was basically the Villa game, but with Allison in goal as opposed to Adrian. I thought that was quite a good way of putting it. Um, obviously, Fulham were all over Liverpool at the start, getting shots away in dangerous areas, and Allison made a number of huge saves. Um, just ones that he didn't really, even really seem to struggle with keeping out. But I think at Villa Park, it was quite similar. Difference being, Adrian was stopping those shots or trying to stop those shots, and a few of those shots, shots were getting deflections and stuff like that. But I think the first half was was quite similar in terms of how it, how, how it started. Liverpool just didn't turn up, which is different to what we're used to when, when it comes to this Liverpool team. It's 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 very out of character. I think Klopp, the camera pans a Klopp at one point in the first half and he, he was just screaming at his players, uh, saying, wake up, because it's... Um, you know, it's it it's it's hard to put a reason on why why this sort of things happen thing happens, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, it is. Uh I mean I just want to quickly acknowledge your point about uh about Alison. You know, it, it I think on, on days like on, on days like what Liverpool had at Crave and Cottage, which do happen, we'll probably talk about why they seem to be happening more at the moment. Uh, but they do happen and on those days the likes of Allison can really be the difference between um, coming away with a point from a bad performance or coming away with with nothing, really. Um, I do think if if you had to settle with Adrian in goal, that would have been a defeat rather than a rather than a draw, which is which is really important to note because, as I said, it's not always about um, the goalkeepers making sure you win games. Sometimes when you're not at it, um, it is about at least getting getting a point from the fixture. But yeah, I don't I don't know what's happened to be honest, Josh, because I briefly touched on it before the show last week. But in terms of Liverpool's away away form, I don't think if you look at it from a performance perspective, it isn't this bad. But results wise, it just it just isn't really happening really. That seven two Villa game, um you've got that and then you've had four consecutive away draws. Um last three one one and it's just it's as you're used to Liverpool kind of going home and away and winning games, no matter who they're playing, and it just seems quite bizarre. As I said, if you look at the performance indicates it's not that black and white, but we're just looking at results for a brief second. It's it's quite quite unique, shall we say, for this Liverpool side. Yeah, I mean, a little bit frustrating considering literally a week earlier we we beat Wolves four goals to nil mm-hmm. in what was quite a quite a commanding performance. And a week later, you can you can draw one all with one of the worst teams in the league, really. Um, mm. Although we did say, you know, they haven't proved of late. But I suppose one thing you could look at with this sort of thing, I think it was the first weekend in quite a while, which has seen um, none of the so-called big six actually win a game. None of the big six won a match. Um, I think maybe you could put that down to the schedules and stuff like that, and. Um, the team, you know, Fulham obviously had, I think it was something like a week to prepare for this game. Meanwhile, Liverpool away in Denmark with the likes of Salah playing 98 minutes, uh, which I think you can question, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think one, one player who I will say did well at Craven Cottage was, was Curtis Jones, I thought he was superb again. 
And um, I think there was a point where the person I was watching the game with, I actually compared him a little bit to Gerard in the way that he's so dynamic on the ball and he he kind of had the, the vibe about him of um, I'll do it myself kind of thing. Even You know, that, that kind of approach that Gerard just seems to have in a lot of moments, you know, I'll, mm. I'll, do, I'll do it on my own. Jones had a bit of that about him as Liverpool were kind of trying to get an equaliser or trying to get a winner. He was he was really proactive on the ball, dynamic, not shying away from decisions, not shying away from, you know, taking risks and stuff like that, despite the, the tricky match scenario. So I think if there's one thing Liverpool's injuries as resulted in happening, it's Jones being integrated quicker than he probably would have. He's probably played double the minutes than what the plan was initially before anyone got injured. But I think despite that, he's he's, he's not looking out of place whatsoever. No, I'd even go as far as to say, for me, um, he's one of Liverpool's best players right now in the, in, in the whole squad. Um, you know, you forget his age, like he's still so young, but he, he, the stuff that he, he brings to the table is just so important. So, you know, we, we have touched on it already, but you're talking about things like... Um, versatility he's versatile um he's he's creative he's reliable um i mean it was what, seven shot rating actions on the day against fulham uh, and only robertson made more touches inside the final third which you know is quite is quite telling um about his performance and i do like i, I do like the, the character that you kind of allude to there as well he, he does seem to have this ambition to to win games but not only kind of win as a team, like he he will step up and be the person to to almost lead the way, which is just so so unique, really, in a young player who hasn't been playing at that level for long. I think of other other teams in the league and other players coming in, and it's all about you know trying to do the bare minimum and, and almost appease the players around them. You know, like um, maybe taking the safer options compared to what they would at under twenty three level. I've seen that a lot with youth players, um, but Jones doesn't seem to do that. He just seems to be able to scale up his performances at youth level for the first team, and that's why. Not, and I know there's a lot of injuries at the moment, but that that's why I think he's playing so much. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably going a bit too early on this when I, when when I say this now, but I think already it's it's quite clear that he's for me showing signs of potentially a, a future captain um, of the club. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if around the time, say, for example, when Klopp leaves, so that would be four years' time, I wouldn't be too surprised if by that stage Liverpool have kind of reached a Carragher-Gerrard-type dynamic with Jones and Trent as the the, the captain and vice, almost. Um, if they continue to integrate themselves as, as they are, obviously you can't see Trent coming out of the team anytime soon. And I think Jones is only going to grow in prominence if he keeps playing like this. How old is Jones at the minute, actually? He's either 19 or 20. Um, no, I was just thinking there as you, as you were talking. And, and you, yeah, 19, which is ridiculous. But you know the way you caveat, I said that saying I'm going in a little bit too soon. I'm going to dwarf that now. And um, you know, it's probably <laughs> going to get a few eye rolls. But just if you just hear me out, with, especially with that local connection... Are you looking at maybe like a reincarnation of the the Callagher and Gerrard type um, scenario where you've got you know two local lads, midfielder, defender, you know understand the club, 
coming through at the same time. Because, you know, it, you forget Alexander Arnold, he's, he's still only what? Is he about 22 now? 22, yeah. I think. Yeah, you know, there's, there's only a, a couple of years between them. So, are you seeing a re- reincarnation of that kind of, you know, dual scout spirit almost in the team? It's, uh, it's going to be one to watch over the next few years. Yeah, well, that's it. That's, that's one, of, one of the reasons I said it is because of the local thing. Um, you know, I think I think maybe if Jones was performing like this, but he was, you know, from a foreign background, maybe I'd be I'd probably be less inclined to think future. Well, only slightly, but probably less inclined to think future captain. But I think, as you said, with with him being at the club for years and years and years now, um. It's it's kind of a bit of an old school saying, isn't it? Isn't it? But he doesn't know the club, he knows the area, knows the culture, the people. I do think it plays into it, especially when it comes to club captaincy. So it's one further down the line, maybe because by that by by the time Klopp leaves four years, I think Milner will be about fifty nine, and um, <laughs> Jordan Henderson will be thirty four. Um, so we'll probably still be around, I think, at 34 Henderson. But how much game time he's getting out, you know, I'm not comfortable putting a number on that. Um, but it's it's one to look at anyway for the future. Maybe this will be an episode that we, we can revert back to in four years' time. Um, but anyway, the Champions League, Dave. Mm. Um, also some spin away from the, the Fulham game. Uh, Liverpool obviously drew RB Leipzig uh, in the round of 16. Mm. Thoughts? I haven't actually uh, about this, have I? No, no, we haven't spoken about this yet. Um, yeah, it's it, it's. I've got mixed feelings this one, so it goes without saying. I don't think it's an easy draw compared to some of the opponents Liverpool could have faced. Um, obviously, Leipzig come through a really tough um, Champions League group. Uh, they've got one of the coaches. Well, I'd say a coach who's on on the path to become one of the best in the world. If he's not already in that conversation anyway, might be a, a year or two too soon. But yeah, loads of quality players. Um, I won't steal all the limelight, but we know, you know, based on expected metrics, they look like the best team in Germany. Um, but that being said, I think when, when they've got a lot of similarities, haven't they, to, to Salzburg? Salzburg, for the obvious reasons, Salzburg are like the, the light version, I'd say, of Leipzig with some, you know, minor tactical differences. But, um, you know, Liverpool won both those games last season. And um, for that reason, I'd probably be tipping Liverpool to, to to go through over the two legs. Yeah, it's an interesting one for me. Um, I've wrote a few terms on, on the Liverpool-Red Bull link type thing because I think not only when it comes to recruitment, but also when it comes to general style of play, there's similarities there. And I think even though... The um, you know, the counter attack and high pressing, intense transition based football Liverpool have slightly moved away from in the past maybe two years. I think it's funny that Leipzig have as well. <laughs> um, though I think I think Salzburg is still very much in that mould, but I think Liverpool and Leipzig have, have both maybe in in recent times developed a bit of a, a respect for the perks of possession almost. Um, like I think Ralph Rangnick, who was obviously behind the Red Bull identity, um, as previously said, like he, he, you know, he's not really in favour of square passes and back passes and 
and things like that. I think Liverpool and Leipzig have started doing a bit more of that. Um, so I, I do think it's 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 insistent, it's an insistent little matchup. It's kind of um, yeah, big brother versus little brother, a little bit sort of thing. Kane versus the Undertaker. <laughs> it's that sort of vibe. It's it's very. It, but I kind of thinking Liverpool are the the more evolved version. Almost mm. Liverpool are kind of you know at the top of the food chain, and and any any top player that Leipzig kind of establish Liverpool are highly likely to poach probably. Mm. Uh, if you, you know you only gonna look at Naby Keita, Sadio Mane, I think Upamecano getting poached by the likes of Man United, Liverpool, Bayern Munich, and and teams like that. But I do think stylistically, it is very much a clash of of almost the same philosophy in a way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's just um, something that we talked about before is when these teams try and, you know, play a similar style and it becomes a bit of a, you know, you know kind of battle of attacks or a bit of a basketball game end-to-end stuff. Liverpool just always seem to come out on top and always seem to be able to manage it well. Uh, they even find ways to nullify the, the threat of the opponent trying to do that or they'll just go toe-to-toe with them and normally come out on top because they've you know got got players who are even though I really like a lot of Leipzig players they've got better players who are you know in the prime one thing you say about Leipzig is the although it's not the case across the board they have they have a lot of kind of players who are still ahead uh, or their best days are still yet to come in terms of you know in the prime years whereas Liverpool players are very much in the midst of their prime so it does just feel like this is why, as I said, I appreciate it's a tough game, so I'm definitely not writing up Leipzig. I think it could be difficult for Liverpool, and Leipzig look good uh, in the numbers in the Bundesliga this year. But I do just think it's a game that Liverpool can can win. You know, a tie that they can win, um, based on based the, the stuff we've just been talking about. Yeah, it's 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 not a good draw. It's not a bad draw, and. It's 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 strange because it's one of them that I do think in a way Liverpool can win in the first leg, almost if if, mm. if they turn up and if things go as planned. But at the same time, I'm 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 not as comfortable as as if we were maybe to draw a Porto again. You know, it's yeah, like that. that's who I had in my head. You know, when I looked at, I thought the ideal draw would be Porto here yeah, because they beat them a few times. It tends to be quite comfortable. Um, whereas Leipzig, it's not as straightforward. Um, but it's still one that I think there's, there's there's enough evidence to say that they can come through. Put this way, it's not like Atletico yeah, Madrid last year, is it? No, well, that was the main team. Atletico Madrid came out just before Liverpool did, um, and that, that they were the, the opponents I wanted Liverpool to avoid. Don't didn't want to face them, so you know, good luck to Chelsea on that one. Mm. Um, I'm glad Liverpool didn't get them. I would have preferred Barcelona. You know, any anyone. Over Atletico, I remember saying last year they were a nightmare opponent for Liverpool, mm. and they ended up proving to be that. Um, but you mentioned the numbers a little bit on on Leipzig's season. They're currently third in the table uh, with twenty four points, level with Bayern, a point behind Leverkusen at the top of the table. Um, in attack, so their expected goals per match is. The fourth best. That's excluding penalties. 
their expected goals against is the third best. Um, and when it comes to shooting, they shoot the third most frequent and they face the third fewest shots. So, you know, the in and around, obviously, the, th- the third best team in the top three in, in Germany, really. And I think you've, they've got a, certainly a top three coach, probably a top three squad. Um, and I think that's kind of what Liverpool are facing. I think in, in terms of Nagelsmann, I think he's he, he is very modern, isn't he? He's very he's very similar to to Klopp in, in a lot of ways, similar to Guardiola in a lot of ways. But I think in comparison to Klopp, he's probably a lot more experimental. I think a, a lot more inclined to to just come up with a, a spontaneous, isolated plan for a specific opponent. I think Klopp's a bit more. Um, we focus on us, if, if you know what I'm saying. I think when it comes to coming up with an isolated tactic for a specific match, I wouldn't be surprised if he come up with something specific for Liverpool. Yeah, uh, if he if he was a player, I don't know if you can use this term with a manager, but he's got a lot of creative freedom, shall we say, uh, in terms yeah. of how he approaches things. I think a part of that comes with still being quite young and. Um, there will also be not that much pressure on. I think there'll be a lot more pressure on Liverpool to come to win the, the tie overall, won't it, than, than Leipzig, that they can maybe just approach it a little bit differently. Um, just really quickly, before we continue with Nagelsmann, now I did notice um, that both on Understat and Scout expected points models, they are, they are top um, on both this season. Um, which... I don't know what were you using FB refs numbers then? Yeah, yeah, stats yeah. Point, yeah. So we kind of we we do value their their numbers a bit more, but it is interesting that but the, these other two providers the the top based on expected metrics, um, which is a little bit of a, you know a testament. But yeah, I agree. Just going back to your original point um, about Nagelsmann, that he could well have something up his sleeve against Liverpool, and you know it. it He's the type of manager that that could make your life very difficult. Um, but I think Klopp will be aware of that. You know, Klopp, Klopp will know all about him, um, especially because he's obviously a manager from within the Bundesliga and what he's been doing there. You, you, you know, Klopp will be keeping a close eye on that league as, as much as he does with the Premier League and he'll know him inside out. So it's, he'll probably be expecting it. I mean, when it comes to the opponents that will be facing, you seem to have... A load of um, tricky, creative, quick type players, very much in the Red Bull mold, I'd say, probably. Mm. Um, Christopher Nkunku, uh, Justin Clivert, Danny Olmo, who you've mentioned on this podcast before, I think. Yeah. Uh, Upamakano is, is obviously a quality player. Angelino, who is a player I've mentioned on this podcast in the past. Mm. Um, Scored a big goal. Big. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, he did. Well, I think one of the reasons I can probably, one of the ways in which I can probably back up the Nagelsmann thing is it, anyone who who watched the Manchester United game, where Manchester United got beat by Leipzig 3-2, just the way in which they very clearly targeted the space behind Lindelof and Wambasaka using Angelino. It was just very clearly a premeditated plan that mm. they had worked on during the game. So it'll be interesting to see what he does f- for Liverpool. I think if if um, 
Liverpool had a fully fit squad, it'd probably be a similar approach with the space behind Gomez and Trent being targeted. So, you know, with Liverpool having fewer options available this time, it'd be interesting to see what he does. But I'm I'm expecting an interesting tie, an entertaining tie, two teams wanting to play football. It'd be interesting to see if if Leipzig tries to play out and all that sort of stuff, knowing what what the strengths of Liverpool are, the strengths of Klopp. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think I'd probably lean towards Liverpool. I don't, I don't think it's going to be... I think certainly over two legs, second leg being at Anfield, you know, consider how how they were kind of hanging on against United in the latter stages. I think in the final 10 minutes, I think Peter Glass used the, the goalkeeper, funny enough, used to be at Liverpool. I think he, he prevented two own goals from happening inside the last five minutes. So mm. I think over two legs, knockout match against Liverpool at Anfield, by that point, there should be maybe a few more fans in the ground. I think Liverpool will get through, won't they, Dave? I think so, yeah. Um, the thing is, as well, we're trying to preview this game in December and the teams won't yeah. meet, will they, until March? And, and you're thinking... You don't know what the defence is going to look like then. You know, um, we can assume probably Van Dijk and Gomez won't be there, but yeah, you never know. You know, um, the the the, uh, the the recovery could be a lot quicker than we expect for both. But um, you just you you might be looking at a much healthier Liverpool side for these matches, and I think that will be key. You know, if you have like Jota and stuff back in the team, and um, you just yeah. have a you know Thiago as well. Thiago will be a big one, so. Yeah, you've got really a, a Liverpool team who kind of back to as good as they can be fitness-wise. And as you said, you've got the Anfield factor, more fans in there, which we can probably assume will be the case by then. Um, I just think it plays in the favour, second leg at Anfield and all that. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'd, I wouldn't be confident. With, with the, I think the key thing with Atletico Madrid last year was you knew if they scored, they, they had the potential to to see games out, not really get impacted too much by it, the atmosphere. Even though Liverpool played really well in that second leg, not get impacted too much and, you know, kind of hold on. Whereas you've just pointed out, pointed out Leipzig looked really uh, shaky in those final 15 minutes and they were at home in a game that they were commanding. So if you if you imagine Liverpool were trailing either the goal in the last 20 minutes at Anfield, you just you'd fancy them to get it uh, and maybe Leipzig to buckle. So I think there's just too many things going in Liverpool's favour, in my opinion. Yeah. I can expect goals, um, but I, do, I just, I do think um, it's reasonable to suggest that I think Liverpool are probably just the more evolved form of Leipzig at the minute. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. We'll move on anyway to, to a game that takes place in two days' time. So hopefully listeners will be tuning in before this match gets played, but it's, it's Tottenham. Um, and I'll be honest, Dave, I am, I'm not looking forward to this. I am worried. Mm. Yeah, I would be too. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's, it's, it's a difficult one to call this uh, because Tottenham, look, look a good side, they look a legit side. Um, with Mourinho, they look like a team that know how not to lose if that makes sense like they know to set up to to nullify the threat of teams and also then they've got these such good players to to hit on the counter um you know with son kane the way kane's playing um got really good options from the bench as well i think their options from the bench are better than liverpool's at the moment so 
if it is a quite tight affair, they they could potentially call on players to make that difference. Whereas, as we've already said, you know, you, you, the front three, if it, if it isn't quite clicking for them or they're just not um, getting the chances and they maybe need someone else to come in and freshen up a little bit, Jota would have been that person and he's out. So... There's a not there's a lot not to like about this game from a Liverpool perspective. I mean, don't get me wrong, Tottenham will be nervous as well. You know, they won't they won't want to be coming to Anfield, and I'm sure they'll be expecting the worst. But it's just when you're so used to Liverpool kind of being big hot favourites to win these games, it's uh, yeah, it's, this one feels a little bit different. Yeah, I just I don't like the tactical makeup of what it looks like. Um, given the injuries Liverpool have got. The lack of injuries Spurs have got, the squad that Spurs have got, and the way that they're playing this season. Not as in the way that they're playing, playing well. The way that they're playing as in how they've, how they've approached big games tactically. Um, I don't think they've lost one yet. Beat Arsenal, beat City, drew with Chelsea, beat United 6-1. Um, obviously, there was a man centre off there, but I just think, obviously... It, they're playing four two three one at the minute, um, ish. It's kind of like a Ndombele type thing, um, but it's it's standard back four, and then ahead of the back four, you've got Sissoko and Hoybier. Then ahead of them two, Ndombele in a number ten type position, and then you've got Stephen Bergwijn and and Son on the flanks with Harry Kane in the middle, but without the ball. Hoybjerg and Sissoko are both dropping back into the channels to, to form the you know the famous Mourinho back six, which which is difficult to break down. And you've still got then Son and Bergwijn on the break, both very very quick. Son in particular can finish one off chances after carrying the ball fifty yards, and they're being fed by the likes of Kane and Ndombele, both of whom. Are quite press resistance, you know. If you if you if you if you're gonna go and win the ball off them with one challenge, you're probably giving away a foul, or or in the case of Ndombele, you're probably bouncing off him. Um, <laughs> it's it's it it just, and I think it's gonna be Liverpool with all of the ball and Spurs waiting for those counters, but Liverpool are gonna have to, Liverpool are gonna have to commit players forward to break down the Spurs block, and then Spurs are gonna be countering through the likes of Son. Ndombele, Kane, Bergwijn without the likes of Van Dijk um, managing those situations mm. so I hopefully I've just epitomised there why I don't like the makeup of this match it just doesn't feel like a, a happy makeup at the minute What's going to be the centre-back pairing do you think from the Liverpool perspective for being well, the word is that yeah well, the word is that Matt was precautionary and the, the hope is that he'll be fit for, for Wednesday. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was a back spasm that he came off with. So hopefully it'll be massive. If it's not massive, um, I'm not sure it will be. It might have to be Nat Phillips. Mm-hmm. Or if if wants to play seasoned players, maybe it'll be Henderson again with a different player in the midfield. Mm. Yeah, it's um, yeah, that's that's a problem. That I think. I think there's, there's 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 definitely match winners at the other end of the pitch. Even like, you know, I know it hasn't been the best run of matches for say uh, Mane, for example. You know, it, it, so 
each each of the forwards for the first time in a long time this season have just had little spells where they haven't quite looked at the best, which is is really rare, I think, for what we've come to expect from them over the last few years. But they, they'll still kind of produce moments where they can win games. Um, you know, I, I think of that Salah goal against Everton where he just, you know, kind of it was clear that it comes to him. He just hits this this insane volley into the bottom corner. I think he could kind of produce things like that again. Uh, it's just I don't like from Liverpool's perspective things at the other end of the pitch. Not that the defense has looked horrendous at all over these past few weeks, but they're truly going to be tested in this game um, because they're going to probably find themselves a little bit more isolated at times because of the need for Liverpool to commit to breakthrough spares. Um, and when they are isolated against the top side, they were very good at what they do. I think it is going to be tough. Uh, you, like Kane, for example, I think Kane, from a defensive point of view, is really difficult to, to kind yeah. of plan for because you're basically trying to stop... Almost what I'm, a number ten attacking midfielder at times, but then he's also got this clinical number nine kind of um, ability as well that he can get on on the end of chances as well as creating them, and it, that's really hard, I think, to to kind of create a plan for. Yeah, I mean, I've I've watched a fair bit of Spurs this season, and he he has bossed virtually every centre back he faced. I think specifically in the big games, in the big games when. Spurs have played this kind of like counter-attacking game and it's been on the likes of Ruben Diaz and maybe Harry Maguire and, and players like this to to prevent him from having an impact on the game. It hasn't happened and Kane has just bossed the game. He's either, he's either been able to counter-attack by feeding the likes of some or if he's been stopped from countering, he's won a foul and he's relieved pressure from Spurs' defence. Mm. Um and I think if if we had Liverpool's first eleven, I'd have a bit, I'd have, I'd be less worried. But I think I would, I would fully expect Kane to dominate Liverpool's centre backs the way he plays. Um, I think he'll just do a job on them without Van Dijk, without Gomez, uh, possibly even without Massive. It's just it's a tricky one, and he's kind of playing in a, a false nine type position whereby he, he completely. With seats into midfield, um, and the false nine usually prevents an opposing defence with two questions. Really, do, you know, do I go with Kane and leave me position for like for Son to run into, or do I stay where I am? But then Kane receives the ball and turns and all that sort of stuff. I think Kane's been that good this season. You have to go with him. I think he he has to be when the ball falls loose and space can break transition opens up and stuff I think you have to be on Kane you have to be standing on his toes because it, every, every kind of break comes through him um, and I just I've got a bit less faith than than usual because of the, the injuries Liverpool have got mainly that Liverpool are going to be able to manage that that false nine Kane son dynamic um, that, that has clearly caused problems for Arsenal City think Chelsea were the only team to to actually manage it but even then I think Spurs still managed to get one or two breaks whereby they could have scored yeah yeah because the the thing is when you go the reason it's such a um, defensive headache is obviously if you drop in with them you're vacating a space and you've got so much uh, pace coming in from the coming in from the flanks haven't you with Son and Bergewijn 
that it's it is like a a multifaceted you know kind of attacking situation and it's uh it is do you go with him or do you let him have the ball and maintain your defensive shape but he just he, he seems to be able to punish it either way um no, if Kane, if it was just Kane and he didn't have that support network around him, I think it'd be easier. But as I said, if you if you focus just on Kane, I think you'll get punished through Son and Bergwijn. So it's it is really hard. It's 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 tough. Um, I think the, the only, is, no? in Dombley's yeah, Dombley, yeah, and Dombley's finally kind of proven why he had such a reputation before he come because a lot of people were will almost writing him off when when he first arrived because it just didn't work out, but. If you just look at the kind of, you know, he's technically fantastic. He, he seems to be a very clever player in, in terms of how he reads the game. I think he's got a really low sense of gravity. Same, similar to how Mane does it where, you know, Mane is kind, kind of quite low to the ground and he can help some manoeuvre really quickly and he's strong. I think Ndombele is very similar to that and uh, he's, he's a problem as well because he's he looks confident now where he's kind of producing his best stuff um, rather than trying to prove his worth to get into the side. Yeah, I think I think the concern with, with him in particular is when Liverpool are trying to attack, you know, build these waves and waves of attack, when a ball falls to an opposing player, he just kind of gets pressed to the extent that he loses the ball and Liverpool starts another attack. He is incredibly press resistant to the extent that if, you know, Henderson and Wijnaldum closing down, he could easily do a job on a pair of them, come out the opposite side, and then he's got Kane, Son, Bergwijn breaking ahead of him. He's kind of like a more attack-minded version of Moussa Dembele, in terms of just, you can't get the ball off him, really good in tight spaces, really strong, unpredictable with his passes, um, and he's doing a lot of... Um, I don't know. He's, a, he's similar to Naby Keita, I think, in a lot of ways. But I think he's a. I think he's a bit more. He's a bit stronger, a bit more mobile. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I'm looking to to go much further on that one because I don't. I don't want to say he's doing what we we expected Keita to do for Liverpool because I think Keita has done it. I think Keita's problems have been injury related, but I think he's having more. He's having a, a bigger impact. I think on on matches than than. And Keiser has, I think, maybe Tiki won that one. Yeah, no, I get what you say. I think Keiser has shown glimpses. It's just really difficult for Keiser because he hasn't, he can't get a run in the team, you know, for, for fitness reasons, really. Uh, this is what I meant when I said about Ndombele being at his best in terms of having that confidence as well because he's no longer really trying to prove his worth to get into the side. He's, he's almost settled in the team now. And I think that, that allows you to have that confidence to, you know, perform at your best. Um, and that's why I think you're going to find it. I guess find it from a Liverpool perspective, the worst version of them. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it, it, it's it's not a nice one, Josh. <laughs> no, it's not. It, them them four players: Son, Kane, and Dombele and Bergwijn. They are a problem. I'm concerned about dealing with that quartet. The, the way Liverpool's defences is the mini. It's not even that bad when you think about it. We've got Robertson still, we've got Trent still, we've got Allison still. It's but it's it's, it's the centre backs, um, and the fact that Fabinho has to play as a centre back, meaning that it's also the number six position a little bit. It's just that area. I've just got less faith that Liverpool are capable of 
managing this this quarter for for ninety minutes is going to be really hard. Mm-hmm. And if they get a lead, if they take the lead, it's going to result in Liverpool having to commit more bodies forward, which makes makes us even more open to the, you know, getting done at the opposite end again. Um, in terms of numbers, Spurs are currently eighth for non-penalty expected goals per ninety, which is not the best really, I suppose. But again, we you know we Spurs stop attacking when when they get a lead really. The third for expected goals against per ninety, tenth for shots and ninth against. But the ninth against the shots that they do tend to face tend to be really low quality because teams can't really break through against Spurs. You have found so far this season. Um, but yeah, I don't want to be too negative. I'm, I'm maybe I'm being a bit. I'm not looking on a positive side enough. But I, this is a game I'm. I just don't like the thoughts of. I uh, I was thinking that I was you know I'll be avoiding the uh, the comments section. I think that this around this point because everyone will be uh, slagging us off for being too negative. But does that the thing is it's just we 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 know what Liverpool are really good at and we talk about it every week. And I just think if there is a little bit of um, uneasiness about an opposition, then it's worth us flagging it, isn't it? But um, obviously from a Liverpool perspective. I think what is good, Josh, is the Anfield factor. You know, I think it it, it was big in the Wolves game, and mm. I was just having a quick gander while we were chatting there. Tottenham haven't won at Anfield since 2011, um, and they predominantly lost those matches since. Um, and I, I do think it's becoming a bit of a Mount Everest for for Tottenham Anfield. I, I don't think they like coming 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 here. Uh, I think it's tough, and. With the fans being back in there as well, I think that's probably going to play a part. So I do think that will give Liverpool the edge a little bit and make Tottenham a little bit less um, comfortable, should we say. So, maybe I mean, something that we said earlier, didn't we, about um, me and we said before the pod started recording about the impact we thought Palace fans had on Tottenham on the weekend and saying they levelled the playing field a little bit. No, it, it might be the same at Anfield and give them... An already good Liverpool side, a little bit of an edge. Yeah, I mean it's worth saying that. You know, if if Liverpool are on it, very yeah. few teams can live with that. Um, mm. But may, maybe I'm just a, on a little bit more of a inward inward shell type thing because of the full performance. Maybe maybe that's impacted me thought process. But I suppose you know what? That's a really good point. Sorry, if if would have Wolves game four 0 Michelin and then which was nothing game. And if you went three nil, went three nil, Craven Cottage, you'd be looking at it thinking, yeah, these are good, but um, you know. Put it this way, I, I think I think it's going to be very very similar to that Fulham game, but against a better defensive unit and getting countered by far better players than we got countered by against Fulham. Fulham got through fairly easily on a number of occasions in the first half an hour. Spurs will score at least one if they get anywhere near those opportunities that Fulham got. Mm. Um, I think I think the first goal in this game is going to be crucial. The first goal is going to be big. Um, it's a tricky one to uh, tricky one to lock because I think I went into the City game with I went into the City game with Spurs thinking. I know exactly what Spurs are going to want to do here. And they just went and did it perfectly and won 2-0. The Arsenal game, I, 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 again, I just I knew exactly what Spurs were going to want to do. 
and the match played out perfectly again. 70% possession for Arsenal. They looked like doing nothing with it. Spurs scored on a break twice. This is just another one of those games where I feel like I know exactly what Spurs are going to want to do. It's just whether they'll be able to do it again with the same perfect execution that they've already done twice this season against two other top opponents. Um, what do you, so, What would you predict now, really quickly, in terms of the goal scoring? Would you Would you see a, a high scoring game or quite a tight affair? Um, no, I don't think it'd be high scoring, but I think. <sighs> So fun, you know. <laughs> what are you gonna, we'll do verdicts now. What are you going to go for, verdict wise? Uh, I'm going to actually go for a. Weirdly, I think Liverpool are going to win, and I'd say weirdly they are the better side. Like that, you know. So I, that, I shouldn't really say weirdly before that, but it, obviously we've just spent the last ten minutes kind of talking with the threat. But I'm going to go Liverpool two one after Tottenham taking the lead. I will be amazed if that happens, if Spurs take the lead. <laughs> and Mourinho can't see it out. I see, I, I see why, but I, I, things just seem to happen when, when Liverpool are at home, like different things to what, where they would normally. So maybe I'm just, um, I'm talking of many scars of years gone by, expecting that to happen, Josh. But um, yeah, it'll be, I think it's going to be a tight game anyway. I don't think it'll be 4 0 either way. No, I'm going to go, I'm going to go 1 0, I think. Um, but I am, I'll be honest, I am, I am f- very fearful that Liverpool's Anfield run could, could end here. Would, and it, and it wouldn't be surprised, I wouldn't be surprised if I come out of it, you know, if it did happen, say in next week, Liverpool play great and Clock comes out of it saying Liverpool play great, 70% possession and, and Spurs just stole it because they, they, they seem to keep stealing it. Mm. And, it gets to a point where it's no longer a coincidence. It's just them being really good at doing that. Uh, but a few days later, we'll then be facing, I suppose, a very similar but more miniature version of Spurs in, in Crystal Palace. I think the tactical dynamic for that game is going to be quite similar, to be honest. Mm, yeah. Yeah, good players. Is Zaha going to be fit for this game? I think so, yeah. He, he played... Uh, is, is he got an injury, has he? I thought he might have. Maybe I'm getting mixed up when I was catching up on the weekend. I wasn't sure if he if he'd come off. Well, it could be miles off. But yeah, they've got some really good players, and you can hear you in transition. Oh no, I'm getting mixed up a couple of weeks ago now. Yeah, they've got some really good players. You can hear you in transitions. Um, yeah, it, it weirdly is going to be a similar game, and it'll be it's hard to predict though at this stage before that Tottenham game. Yeah, I think um, the Tottenham game is going to be. You, you could argue perfect practice, really. And mm. I think if we if we stop if we stop Spurs, if we if we don't concede the counter to them, technically we shouldn't concede the counter to Palace. Um, mm. But you know, you can never predict these things too accurately because it's you know these 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 counter attacks just they're just moments, aren't they? And it feels like anything can happen almost when you materialise. Yeah, yeah, I agree, but. Um... It, that that they, they have some good players. It'd be interesting to see how they, they cope with like Eze and stuff. Um, you know, I, I was just having a quick look at him now. I, I can't believe he's only scored one goal because every time I watch Palace, he looks such a threat. Yeah, no, he has been. Um, I think I think Eze and and Zaha are, are, are two two problems, and I think they both play towards the left of the pitch, mm. so which will be Trent, maybe Henderson, hopefully Matip if he plays. 
dealing with those. And I think if you stop that ball progression, Palace generally will struggle to get up the, up the pitch, I think. Mm. Um, but it, it's just it's something that very few teams manage to stop because of how good those players are at just finding solutions when they're crowded out and, and things like that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, the- the only thing is, just sometimes, I never. It's never an easy game, Palace. But I do wonder sometimes whether um, Hodgson maybe doesn't. And this might sound like such a dinosaur comment, but they, I don't know if there's always that same level of ambition to win these games a little bit for him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I mentioned in the past. I think he gives mm. he gives teams like us too much respect sometimes. Mm. I think to the extent where he sacrifices too much of his attack. And I think he goes a bit too deep with his defensive line to mm. the extent that Zaha literally has to travel about 80 yards to get a shot away, which is just mm. too much. Um, yeah. I think there's been there's been meetings in the past with the likes of Manchester City. And I, th- I think I think they've went the whole match without having a shot and stuff like that. <laughs> that's not a joke, I, I'm telling you. Um, and that, that just shouldn't be happening, should it? No. No, no, especially as I said, it, it it does have a little bit of a fresher feel this season because I thought they recruited quite well. Um, as I said, like Eze, for example, didn't feel like a palace signing at all. Mm. Um, and he, he was a good piece of business, and he's definitely brought something to the team. Um, so you know, certainly we we talked about the way that they might set up and approach the game. I think uh, I think they, they they could on paper cause Liverpool issues. Yeah, it's going to be a tricky one. I think the next the next two games that Liverpool have got, it's going to be a real test of can you break down a, di- a disciplined defence while stopping counter-attacks yourself mm. without Van Dijk or Gomez. It's going to be a major test of that for the next week, really. Um, and if the answer to that is yes, Liverpool are probably going to, going to come out with two wins because I can't see Spurs or Palace scoring outside of a counter-attack really um, apart from you know maybe a set piece or something like that but mm. I think in terms of Palace's numbers as a result of being the type of team that they are again they're not, they're not the strongest really the 15th in the league for non-penalty expected goals uh, 14th for shots and on the defensive side a little bit better 9th for XG against and 15th for shots against um, obviously that gap between the shots and the shots and the XG against there is because obviously the shots that they face don't tend to be that clear cut. Um, hence the the deep block that they tend to um to employ. Mm. So I feel like it's one of them opponents to be honest, Dave. I feel like we there's not a lot to add on them. The, most the, I think the casual fan will know what to expect from Crystal Palace, and I think we've previewed these. You know, last season, season before, or whatever, for however long this podcast has been going, Hodgson's been in charge the whole time. The dynamic of the team has been vaguely similar the whole time. The only difference this time, I suppose, is that in addition to Zaha, they've added Eze, who's equally capable of carrying the team up the field. But other than that, I don't think there's much to add, really. No, I'd find it peculiar if I was a Crystal Palace fan because. Maybe this goes well on the outside looking in, but I'm not really sure what their long time long term ambition is, whether it is just kind of do what they're doing now and you know, push for kind of top ten finishes. Um they seem quite happy to meander along 
you know, with, for example, having Hodgson in charge. And it feels like the, a few years ago, they, they tried drastically, didn't need to take a new approach and maybe implement a new philosophy and a new culture at the club uh, with Van der Boer. Was it? You come in there. Frank Debo, yeah. Frank Debo, yeah, it was, yeah. He come in and it kind of went pear shaped too quick. He didn't really do the right preparation for them. And it, it, it almost felt like that scared them off a little bit for a couple of years. And now they just want to want to remain quite comfortable. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. But the, right now, they seem to just be a bit of a, a steady Eddie club. We'll have some nice results over the season, but probably won't really threaten the top end of the table. Yeah, unless they're facing one of the top end of the table in a match. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Mm. Uh, so verdict on this one then? Again, I, I'd like to. I would like to comment it after the Tottenham game. Um, but say Liverpool win this game on Wednesday two one, like I predicted. I'll continue with that, and I'll say though. Oh, I don't know. This could be a, this could be the game that you're on the come down a little bit if you do secure the big win, where you have to go again, and it's quite difficult mentally, but. I'll go. I should add as well. I should add as well. It's the lunchtime kickoff on a mm, Saturday. Which I that. Yeah. And I'm going to go. Night. I'll go one nil. One nil. Mm. Okay. Um. Oh, it's tough, you know. It's, since I've just realised it's it's the lunchtime kickoff after playing Spurs Wednesday night in what is obviously going to be an intense game. I'm now questioning myself. I was going to say 2-1, hmm. but now, just because it's away from home, early kick-off, counter-attacking team, I'm thinking one on now. I'm going, to, I'm going to go with 2-1, but I don't think, <laughs> I don't really think it's going to be much of an enjoyable week. I think Spurs and Palace are two tricky opponents that you just don't really want to face unless you've got everyone fit and fighting. Hmm. Um, so if we come out of this with six points, you know, take the points and run, really. Mm. Um, but yeah unless you've got anything to add Dave thanks for joining us no yeah I enjoyed that uh, thanks for listening everyone <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah everyone have a good Christmas and we will be back uh, between Boxing Day and New Year for for the Christmas special I suppose um, so yeah thanks for listening and uh, see you next week You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.